Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Man, you may be seated. That song stirred me up. Great are you, great are you, Lord. You know, we were, we were, um, we were in this room before anybody got here. Our, our, um, those who serve uh, through hospitality, our welcome team, our, our band, our tech team, everybody, cameras, like we were all in here. And what we, what we normally do is we do a tech run through, but part of that is kind of going over our core value. And we typically will go over, um, we'll typically go over some type of scripture. And this morning, my wife, Ty, uh, led our time together and she quoted Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, do not neglect to meet together as is a habit of some, but encourage each other as the day goes on. And, you know, there's something about the gathering of the saints. I, I can't explain it. It's, it's something that's not tangible, but there's something that happens in terms of encouragement and in terms of the stirring of the body and the stirring of the gifts. There's something that happens in community that you don't get isolated by yourself. Can somebody say amen right there? It's, it's just something that happens in community. And so I, I'm grateful uh, to be in a church that, uh, that loves being around each other. Shout out to our, our first time visitors, those of you who raised your hand. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It brings us great joy that you decided to hang out with us today. Um, but not only does your presence bring us great joy, getting in the word brings us great joy. So let's do it. Grab your Bibles and go to the Old Testament. Go to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel is where we're going to, uh, we're going to hang out. As you guys turn there, man, shout out to Yolanda for such a dope Bible study this past Wednesday. Come on, y'all give some more love for Yolanda. We honor her, we do. She's a gift to the body of Christ. Listen, I've heard many, many, many people uh, teach on the how and the why, or the why and the how of, of, of Bible study. Basically, it was how to study the Bible. I've heard many people teach on it. I've read books on it. I've sat through seminary classes on it. But I mean, what we got on Wednesday was more than a seminary <laughs> degree on how to study the Bible. Because you know what it was for me? It was such, it was such depth and complexity, but she just made it so simple and tangible. And I feel like everybody, hopefully everybody that logged on, walked away, or those of you who are in the room, hopefully everybody walked away. It feels like, man, I can, I can jump into this. I can study the Bible a little bit better than I did before I came to this class. So once again, shout out to Yolanda, man. I'm grateful for her. And not just her, man, but God is stirring up the gifts in, uh, in the house, man. Yolanda taught on Wednesday, a couple of Sundays before that. Caleb taught. Uh, uh, Warner, my, my brother Warner laid open the word of God. And I pray there's more. There's more gifts in the house. Let me say that again. I feel like there's so many sections. Sometimes I feel like these sections are, are, are the boroughs. We missing one of the boroughs. But these sections feel like the, the boroughs. Did y'all always get my back, so that's Bronx, you know. But these are the, these are the boroughs. <laughs> Every chance I get, I'm going to slide one on in there. All right, but yeah, man, I, I'm grateful that, uh, that we have gifts that are being stirred up. And there's more of you. You don't know what your gift is, but I pray that you, um, I pray that you would be seeking God and we'd be able to work that out in community, uh, which the gifts of the Spirit typically are developed 
in the context of the local church. I mean, I'm thinking back to, you know, when I first started teaching the word of God, I remember um, my pastor, Dr. Eric Mason, would give me opportunities. And the church was gracious to let me fumble through so many sermons. I mean, seriously, fumble through sermons. And I was able to be developed in the context of local church. So I just want everybody to like appreciate the gifts of the spirit flowing, not just teaching, but all of the gifts of the spirit. So I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, as we are uh, speaking of one of the gifts of the spirit, one of the gifts of the spirit is, is generosity. And I, I want to... Um, I just want to lay before you our 23 and 23 campaign. Um, at the end of last year, I challenged you guys and also laid before you the opportunity to give uh, sacrificially, financially give sacrificially. Um, and one of the things I tried to lay before you, and I was trying to be honest and vulnerable that, you know, we ended last year with a bit of a deficit and had to dip into places that we didn't want to dip into financially. And so what that meant for us is that we needed to challenge the church so that we could all step up to the plate of, of, of sacrificing and serving here at the church. So we said, man, 23 and 23, meaning in 2023, we we're asking that everybody would give 23 more percent than what you gave. Now, this only works if we all do it. It doesn't work if 30 percent of the church is doing it. But if we all say, you know what, whatever it is that I'm giving, um, if I could sacrifice a little bit more. And so that means if you gave fifty dollars we're hoping that you would prayerfully give $61.50, which is 20, 23 more percent. If you give $100, we're asking that you would give $123 and, and so on and so on. If you give $200, $246 as, as the numbers continue to pan out. In fact, you don't even got to do the math. If you go onto the website and you click give, you literally can put your number in there and it calculates the 23% for you. Um, just for those of you who be like, ah, you know, I'm not real good in math. Well, we got you. Just click it, man. We, we, we good. But to be clear, your giving, your giving is, um, it helps us to do ministry. Do you realize that we, were, we are able to come alongside of single mothers because of your giving? Do you realize that 9% of your giving, and at one point it was 11%, but 9% of your giving goes back out every month, goes back out to um, help churches that are starting across the world, not domestically, but across the world. Places you'll never step foot, you'll, you'll never go to, you'll never do real mission, but your giving every single month goes and helps um, another church across the world that's, that's reaching that city. We, we have given out food before, we've come alongside of safe families, and we pay the rent. And let me just say, Atlantic Avenue rent is different than Fulton Street rent. Let me say it differently. Five blocks from the Barclays rent is different than Tompkins Avenue rent. It, it's just... It just hit different every month. But, um, but, you know, God typically provides through the people of God. And I, I have no issues asking you guys for it. Number one, because I personally, I love being generous. I love the idea of giving. It's a piece of what I'm able to do. If God was able to, when I stand before him, calculate all the money that I have given, it would pale into comparison to what he gave. You know what the old saints used to say, you can't beat God's giving. You know why? Because God gave Jesus. And you can't do better than that. I don't care if you emptied out your bank account today. And so I, 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 personally, I personally love giving. It's not because I'm a pastor. My parents taught me a long time ago to be generous in church. Anybody parents slipped a dollar in their pocket, you know, right, right when you're about to go up to the offering? Taught you, how to, taught you how to give into church. And I have honestly been giving ever since my my parents taught me as a child, I wasn't even a believer at that time, but my parents taught me 
um, the gift of generosity. And it's biblical. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. There's another one for you. Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaking together. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. But I'm grateful. To, uh, I, I typically, I, I do look at our giving pretty consistently month over month to make sure we're tracking along. It's the last Sunday of this month, which means I typically am like, man, let's end the month strong. Let's end the month strong. And so uh, if you guys would consider, if you haven't given uh, all month, please consider uh, giving. This is good ground. This is, this is good soil. And we promise to be good stewards over your, over your giving. Is that all right? All right, let's dig into the word of God. The reading's a little lengthy. I contemplated kind of skimming, but I feel like the story is so good that it deserves our full attention. Look at verse one. I'm in 2 Samuel chapter six. If y'all there, just be like, I'm near B. All right, verse number one. David again gathered all of the, all of the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God. Please make note of that, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which is on a hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the son of Abinadad, were, pay attention to these words, they're so important, driving a new cart. Driving the new cart with the ark of God and Ohio went before the ark and David and all of the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cassinets and cymbals and a B3 organ. Just give me a little bit of a B3 right there. Matthias, a little bit of that organ. That's somewhere in here in verse number five, verse number six. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. And the ox, for the ox stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place was called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to the city of David, but David took it, as, but, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. Somebody say three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the household of, of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. So David went and brought it up, brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, somebody just underlined that, that's important as well. He sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might and and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all of the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, the daughter of Saul, 
looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings, uh, burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among them, among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread and a portion of meat and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house, and David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, The king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his female servants, as one of the uh, vulgar of fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father. I don't know if you see the attitude David got right there. And above his household and to appoint me prince over Israel and the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will yet be more contemptible than this. And I will, I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, he says, by them I shall be in honor. I want to preach today uh, from the topic entitled, Giving God My Best Worship. Giving God My Best Worship. Let's, let's look to the Lord before we uh, dig into this text. Father, we, we, don't, we don't approach this word today thinking we can just understand it. And maybe on some level, academically, we can just, we can figure out the pieces of the story. But Father, what we need today is Holy Ghost oil to run in this room. Father, we can't understand this without your spirit opening up our eyes. So Father, help us to behold the wondrous things that is in your word today. In Jesus' name, we give glory. Somebody say amen. Giving God my best worship. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this research company. It's a research company called Barner Group. They're, uh, they've been doing this for a long time, and they're, they're based out of Ventura, California, and it's a Christian organization that gathers uh, specific stats and, and gathers uh, information that is useful for, for the church. I'm typically on Barner Group's website checking and seeing the stuff that they are putting out because it's typically uh, pretty accurate. And many years ago, they put out a study that showed the top reasons why people left church, why people wouldn't stay and stick to a church, why, why people would leave, that the top 10 reasons, now I'm not going to go through all of them, but I do want to go through at least the top three, because I think it's helpful for us to understand this passage a little bit. The, the third reason, the third highest reason why people left church was because the children's or teens ministry wasn't up to par. Now, the second one is a little bit comical. The second one is because the bathrooms weren't clean. And I, I, I'm sitting here going, man, it's not a restaurant. Although I do like a clean bathroom. That is, one of, that is the second highest reason for why people committed to a church or not. And then finally, the third, the top reason why people did not commit to the church was because of the worship style. Now, even us, I'll be honest with you, there have been people that have left our church. I'm like, oh, man, y'all just not charismatic enough. Y'all sing too many CCM songs. And then there's other people that be like, man, y'all are overly expressive. Y'all do too much. It's uncomfortable for, for, for me. And so we're all over the spectrum as it relates to the style of worship. And let me just be very clear. When I'm talking about worship, I'm not just talking about the time that we sing, because I believe as a believer, everything I do is worship. 
Generosity, how I give, is a form of my worship. My, my, my connection with my family and my boys and how I honor my wife is a form of worshiping God for the things that he has given to me. Everything is worship. And so people leave church because of worship. And I think in this room, we probably are all over the spectrum as it relates to our comfortability when it comes to worship. But here's what I think all of us, if we've trusted in Jesus, here's where we're not divided. We all know two things. Number one, that, that, that worship is biblical. And we all know, number two, that God deserves our worship. Is there anybody that agrees that God deserves, he deserves our worship? And so although the style may divide us, the need for worship does not. Because God is worthy of our worship, we all know that there's a need. But we're all over the spectrum as it relates to how we worship. Now, I think what the passage is going to do today is the passage is going to help us with our worship. And not just, it's not going to help us with just with our worship. It's going to help us to make sure that we're giving God our best worship. Because I refuse just to give God anything. I refuse to just give him scraps. I want to give him everything. Anybody want to give him everything? All that sin you? And so in the scripture today, we arrive at a passage where uh, the Bible says that there's, there, there's a box. Verse 2 says that there's a box that David is acquiring. He's trying to go after them. This box, you might know it as the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Lord or the Ark of God. It was a wood box that was over. It was a, it was a case of wood. It was overlaid with gold. And inside of it were three different holy items. The first item that would have been in there was Aaron's staff. Second item that would have been in there was a gold jar of manna to remind them of God's faithfulness while they wandered in the wilderness. The fourth item that would have been a part of, this, uh, of the Ark of the Covenant was the two stone tablets that God gave the commandments on. So all of these holy items were inside of this box, but it wasn't just that they were inside of this box. It was housed in the most holiest part of the temple. In ancient times, the, the temple was divided into four different sections. It was partitioned off. The most, most outer part was the court of the Gentiles. Then there was the court of women, and then there was the court of Israel, and then there was the court, then there was the holies of holies. The holies of holies is where the Ark of the Covenant would have been housed, and you weren't just able to walk up in there. Priests would go in there and die. I'm, there, there's a scripture that says, on the robe of the priest, put pomegranates and bells. You put bells because when you stop hearing the bells move, that means the priest died and you had to pull them on out. I'm not joking. I'm dead serious. They, rope, they put a rope around the priest, put the bells on the bottom. So when he dropped dead because he was in the presence of a holy God and was unworthy to be there, they would pull him on out. And so the holies of holies is where this ark would have been housed. Now, the ark of the covenant is what I would call and write this down. It was the visible manifestation of the presence of God. It, in, in other words, it was the most tangible, holy item that they had that represented, represented God's very present, presence. And so what David does is David is ready to go get the ark. Now, here's the question I know everybody's pondering. It. You're trying to think like, why, why is the king of Israel, which is God's chosen people, why is, he, why is David going to get the ark? Why don't they already have it? Well, you would have to go back to the first book of Samuel. In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 5, the Bible says that they're in war with the Philistines, and the Philistines overtake them. And what the Philistines do is they take the ark. i got to give you all this, this context. They take the ark, and they take it back to their, 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 their kingdom, and they put it in their temple. 
And when they get it in their temple, I'm in chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, when they put it in their temple, they put it next to their God, which was a God called Dagon. Now, here's what happens when they put it there. I know it sounds weird, right? It feels weird when I say it, Dagon. But, but, but they put it next to their God. Now, here's what happened. All hell breaks loose when they put it in their temple. I mean, the people woke up and they all had tumors on them. The scripture tells me that their God, their statue of their God had fallen over and his head was cut off and his hands was cut off all because they put the ark next to their God. And, and the city was overrun with rodents, particularly rats. It almost sounds like a, a day in the subway, but <laughs> that's what was going on in this kingdom where the Philistines were. They were so upset about what happened the first night. They were like, man, get this thing and put it in another part of the kingdom. And so they put it in another part of their own kingdom and the same thing happened. And they put it somewhere else and the same thing happened. And so several times this would happen, 1 Samuel 5, first, uh, all the way to 1 Samuel 7. This would happen a few times. To the, it got to the point where they were like, okay, this thing, ain't, this thing, thing got to go. It, 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 it got to go. It ain't got to go home, but it got it to get out of here. And so y'all got to remember this. I preached this a few months ago. The Bible says that the Philistines put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart and put it on the back of two cows. Y'all remember that? Oh, man, y'all got to go back on the, on the, on the website. And, and they put it on the back of two cows. And the Bible says that they said, if the cows don't look to the right or to the left, and wherever they head back, that's where the ark is supposed to be. So the cows begin to walk back, and they make it to a place called Beth Shemesh, which was an outer part of Israel. And when they make it there, there's some guys. This is how holy God is. There's some guys from the city of Akron that come up, and they see the ark, and they're like, oh, free ark. And they grab the ark and they open it and look at it and they drop dead. Just like that. They, they drop dead. And so word comes. And so, so David is afraid. And the Bible says that Abinadad comes and he gets the ark. When Abinadad gets the ark, he takes it back to his house and he treats it with care. He doesn't touch it. He doesn't look inside of it. He understands that it is God's visible presence. And the Bible says that it stayed there in Abinadad's house for 20 years. So all through 1 Samuel... All through the first part of 2 Samuel, the ark is at Abinadad's house. Finally, David is like, I got to get the ark. I got to put it back into the city of David. And so in our passage today, you are picking up on the story where David is going to get the ark from Abinadad's house. And there's some things that I think we can learn about worship as we look at these few verses. Pick me, up, pick me back up in verse number three. Are y'all with me? That context was all right. It makes sense. All right. Verse number three. It says, and they carry the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio and the sons of Abinadad were driving the new cart. And the ark of the Lord and Ahio went before the ark. And when David and all of the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, play, pay attention here, put out his hand. To the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. The Bible says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there for his error and he died beside the ark of God. I don't know about y'all, but even, even now when I read this, I'm sitting here going, God, that was a little, that was a little aggressive. Like, like, God, that seemed a little excessive for him just simply touching the ark. By the way, he's only touching the ark because the oxen stumbled and he didn't want it to fall on the, in the dirt and on the ground. And so therefore, he, God, he was helping you out. Anybody else feel like, God, the punishment don't fit the crime? 
Anybody else feeling that? When I'm reading through this, I'm sitting here, I'm going, this, 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 this seems a bit excessive, but it is not excessive. And, and there's several reasons why. The, the first reason this is not excessive is because God has given them explicit instructions in Exodus 25 on how to deal with the ark. Now, don't miss this. The Bible says, I told you to underline it, that they, were, they put it on a new cart and they were driving it. That's the wrong way to carry the ark because God had told them, don't put it on a cart. He says, put poles on the ark and carry it. And so many commentators were suggesting that the way Israel was handling the Ark of the Covenant was the same way the Philistines handled it by putting it on a cart. And he says, wait, 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 I didn't give the Philistines the instructions. I gave you the instructions and you are handling my presence any old way. Now, this ain't their first rodeo. They've carried the Ark before. When they crossed the Jordan River, to go into Cana, they had the ark. The priests had the ark, and they carried it correctly. Y'all remember the story of Jericho? When the Bible says they walked around the wall seven times, the Bible says that the priests carried the ark of the covenant as they were walking. Nobody fell dead. Nobody was struck dead. Why? Because they carried it right. Deuteronomy 31.9 describes how the priests and the Levites are carrying the ark. And so what you see happening in our text today is that they are carrying the ark the wrong way, but let me show you what's even deeper and really impacts our worship. The Bible says Uzzah sticks out his hand and he took hold of it. This idea of taking hold literally means he dealt casually. Let me try to say this differently. He was too familiar with the presence of God. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was nothing for him to, to put his hand out and touch this very Ark. Now, when you read this, I'm sitting there going like, yo, bro, you a fool. Why, why would you touch God's very presence? Why would you be that casual? Why would you be that melancholy as it relates to the presence of God? Then I realized that many of us walk into worship the same way Uzzah touched the ark. Very casual with the presence of God. Some of you don't, don't, don't give God reverence when you, when you pray and when you are doing devotion and hearing God's word. When you come into the gathering, y'all know we don't. And here's how I know, because most of us come in sipping coffee with a bored look on our face while the worship is going on as though God ain't worthy of reverence. I ain't saying nothing to me today. As though God ain't worthy of our glory and our praise. And so I wonder... If how we deal with worship in the presence of God is similar to how Uzzah dealt with the presence of God when he put his hand out. Now, I don't ever, ever, ever want to be casual with God. I want to bow down before him. I want to reverence him. I want to pay attention that a king just entered into the room. And that's what I want to do. You know why? Because I don't want to treat God like a casual conversation I'm having with you. God is worthy of much more than that. Is he, is he worthy in this room? Well, here's what I know. All of us have dealt in a way with God that was too familiar. You know, one of the things I love about the old churches, the old, I grew up in old Baptist church, man. Old churches, they, they would teach you how to be reverent in the church. There was a section in the church, the kids couldn't run bad. Y'all know that, that, that pulpit? I don't care if the choir stand was all the way, and you had to walk all the way around to the other. You could not walk. Anybody grew up in church like that? You couldn't just handle the, the place where the word of God was preached in any old way. Why? Because they were teaching us how to be reverent. And so the Bible says that Uzzah drops dead because he sticks his hand out. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to drop dead because you were casual in worship today. 
This is the very gospel that we celebrate says that God put a cushion between us and him. The person named Jesus. Jesus stands in the gap between a holy God and sinful man. And we are able to come in and worship. And God, we don't drop dead. You know why? Because the presence of God is too much for us. But Jesus makes it applicable and palatable for us. Jesus is my all-access pass into the very presence of God. Now, I know you're sitting here going, Pastor B, you forcing us, though. Forcing us in this, in this thing called worship. You, you're trying to make us, you know, it's not my disposition. It's not how I'm wired. I'm quiet. I'm cool. I'm calm. I'm collective. But I, my question would be to you, is he not worthy of you getting out of your comfort zone? Is he not worthy of our praise? Is he not worthy of our adoration? I know it ain't your disposition, but when he gave you a new heart, something changes. Something changes on the inside. So I'll do stuff that I normally don't do because he is worthy. Can I show you another problem with Uzzah? The first problem with Uzzah is that he's too casual. He's too familiar with the presence of God. Here's the second problem with Uzzah. The second problem is that he is completely unaware of how filthy he is compared to the holiness of God. Don't miss this. What Uzzah tried to do with good intentions, his instincts told him to steady the ark, steady the ark so that it wouldn't fall on the dirt. But here's what he failed to understand. He thinks that the dirt on the ground is dirtier than his hand. Don't miss. He thinks that if the Ark of the Covenant falls into the dirt that it will be defiled. But I serve a God that Genesis 1 says that when he created us, he dug into the dirt to mold you and to make you so the dirt doesn't defile God. Our sin defiles God. Don't miss this. So God's like, yo, you can't, you can't just be in my presence. It's R.C. Sproul, a great theologian that said it this way. He said, the dirt has never sinned against the presence of God. Only man has done that. Think about that. He thought that he was not as dirty as he really was. And I, I, would, I would say that, that that's most of us in this room, man. Most of us in this room don't get into worship because you don't realize the grace it is to even be in his presence. Do you know how much grace it took for God to say, I'm going to let them not just come in my presence, but Hebrew says you can come boldly to the presence. Do you know how much grace it takes this is why I worship Jesus, because that is the only way I am acceptable by a holy God. Now, some of y'all, some of y'all in the room, some of y'all in the room, you're, you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, well, Pastor B, I'm not that bad. Morally, I'm a good person. I've done some good things in my life. You know, it's kind of, we play that, that scale system, my good outweighing my bad. Here's the thing. If you are 99% good, the 1% hinders us from being in the presence of God. Why? Because he is that holy. Y'all remember when Moses tried it. Moses was like, God, show me your face. God's like, can't nobody see me and live? Puts him in the cleft of a rock. And, and then even then, he let him see his aftermath. Y'all remember when, when Moses saw the burning bush and it was burning but not being consumed? What does God say when he walks up on it? Take them shoes off. Because this is a holy ground. Why? Because shoes were considered unclean in ancient times. And so we serve a holy God. And even if you were 99% good, the 1% makes you defiled. I, I want to try to bring this point out just a little bit. I, uh, I have here some, some clean water. This, this ain't Dasani. <laughs> I just want to be clear. This ain't Nestle. 
What's that water in Florida? Zephyr. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's just thick. It's just nasty. It's some good alkaline water. Now, consider this with me, right? Consider this. This is, this is your life and it's your spiritual life. This is your, your natural life. And you're like, oh, I'm not that bad. So let's just say this is the 99%, right? 99%, 99% of you is good, right? I mean, this water is refreshing. It's, it's, it's cold, it's good, it, it, you know, it, it'll quench the thirst. And so nobody in this room, I doubt, no, unless you really, really hate water, nobody in this room would reject this water if I gave it to you. You would drink it and you would be right in doing so. But here, here's, here's what I want to submit to you. I dug in the closet today and I'm going to handle this with care. But I, I grabbed the rat poisoning out of the closet. This, this, this is real rat poisoning. Now I'm going to be careful here. I'm going to be careful but check this out. Y'all said with gloves? All right, check this out. I'm, I'm not even, those of you who are at home, I'm not even going to fill the whole spoon up. I put a pinch. Listen to me. I put a pinch onto the spoon. Now, this water is 99% good. But if I took a 1%, 1% and I dropped it into the water and then I shook it up and I said to you, hey, the water's still good. You should accept it. You're, well, you wouldn't drink this water. You know why? The 1% defiled all of the water. And here's what's crazy about us. Here's what's crazy. We serve a God that is so holy that he cannot accept 1%. But you won't accept the 1% of rat poisoning, but you want God to accept your 1% of triflingness. The devil is a liar. I serve a God that's holy, that's good, that's merciful, that's kind. And here's the thing about the rat poisoning. The rat poisoning is actually healthier than your sin in comparison to a holy God. Because our God is holy. And so the Bible says that Uzzah sticks out his hand. And when he sticks out his hand, he steadies the cart. And in doing so, he dealt casually. He took hold. He, he, was, just, he, was, he was very familiar with God. But the second problem is that he didn't understand how sinful he was when he grabbed the ark, and the Bible says that Uzzah dropped dead right there. I mean, he, he, got, he got dropped like Mike Tyson in the ring with Buster Douglas, like just drops him right there. He, the Bible says that he died next to the ark. So he was casual and he was unaware of his sin. So here's the question you're asking. Well, Pastor B, if I'm a sinner and you're, you're, you're saying that 1% defiles me, how in the world am I able to be in the presence of God? Check this out, man. Verse, verse 11. Verse 11 says, And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told to the king that the Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those, pay attention to verse 13, And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. Don't miss what is happening here. David says, okay, that thing's been hanging out in Obed-Edom house for three months. His whole family is blessed because of the, 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 the visible presence, uh, presence of, the, of a holy God. And so therefore, I think I'm good to go get it, bring it back into the city of David. Now notice this. When they went to get it the second time, they didn't carry it the same way they did the first time. Because the first time says that they drove it on a, on a cart. 
But the second time they go back, the scripture just said, when they took six steps, that means they found them poles. And they carried it the way that God had originally told them to carry it. And so the Bible says that when they went six steps, one, two, they carried it, three, four, five, I don't run that stage here, six. At the sixth step, the Bible says that they made a sacrifice. Now, most commentators will say that either one or two things is happening. Either they made a sacrifice the first six steps, but most commentators says they make a sacrifice every six steps. I'm just trying to show you how holy God is. And here, here's, here's, here's what really messed me up when I was considering the sacrifice that they were making. A sacrifice to the Lord is what made unholy people allowed to handle the presence of God. It's the only reason they're handling it is because they made a sacrifice. Now, maybe you're not quick on the uptake and you think that I'm talking about the sacrifice of a, of a, of a bull or a goat or a pigeon. I am talking about what makes you acceptable is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus does is he doesn't walk six steps and then make a sacrifice. He walks the Via Dolorosa. He, he walks, he walks Golgotho's hill, and the Bible says he gets up on a hill, and he makes a sacrifice once and for all. And after he makes a sacrifice, you know what he says? He says, it's finished. There's no need to sacrifice any bulls. There's no need for more goats. There's no need for another step, because I took care of the sin problem. And so as I talked about your 1% and you're sitting here going, well, how, how am I acceptable? It's because a lamb was already sacrificed for you. And here's what makes Jesus so dope. Jesus is not the priest that brought the lamb. Jesus is the priest and the lamb. Can somebody worship a God that was sacrificial on our behalf? You're still too casual. You're still too casual because you, you think somehow you should be on the team. He should accept you. I'm telling you, I'm, wa I'm watching everyone. Pastor B, it's just not, it's not who I am. I don't feel like I got to jump in. Me neither. But guess what? God has been so good to me that I would get crazy for him. Why? Because he got crazy for me. So his sacrifice is the, is the access that I need. The reason that I am able to walk around heaven is because Jesus has made it possible. There's a, uh, there's a, I think it's Netflix. It might be, I meant to check it between the services. It's either Netflix or Peacock. There's a, uh, a documentary on this volcano that erupted. And it was on an island and these tourists were on the island. You've seen that? And it's Netflix. And the tourist was on the island at the same time it, it erupted. Now, here's the thing about, about uh, volcanoes and ash. You won't just get burnt by touching the lava. The smoke is too hot. And so the story goes on that the smoke was so hot that the tourists begin to get burnt up. But when I watched this interview, there was a husband and a wife, and the husband was way more visibly burnt up with more scars than the wife had. And they asked him about that, and he said, that's because when the smoke began to come, I covered my wife. And in covering my wife, I took the burns that she should have took. And that is what Jesus does on the cross. Jesus took the scars and the beatings and the bloodshed and the, the pulling of the beard so that you and I will never, ever, ever experience the wrath of God. Do you realize that when we get to heaven, the only person, because the Bible says we'll all get new bodies. I mean, I need somebody that's like, you know, you've been working out and you're like, ah, oh, my body just stay like, you'll get a whole new brand spanking new body in heaven. No shrinkage, no... No scars, 
Like, you straight. You're going to be good forever. But when you get to heaven, there is one person that will walk around with scars. And we'll look at the, the holes in his hands and the holes in his feet and the holes in his side. And it will serve as an eternal reminder that the only reason you're there is because of them scars. I need somebody to praise. It does something to your boy. That God would not only just get off his throne to come dwell amongst us, but that same God would get up on a cross. It does something to me. I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. It, it, it. it changes the way I think and the way I walk and the way I, the way I live. It's changed forever because of what Jesus has done. Now, I, don't, I just don't... I don't know how to, I don't know how. He has covered our shame, man. He's, He's covered it, man. All your sin, all your mistakes, anything you've done wrong, it's been covered. And so, Ty told me when I cried, I don't know how to get it together. So I'm trying to come back here. It is the presence of God. It is Jesus' work on the cross that secures a sinner. To be in his presence. So the Bible says here that the only way that the ark was able to be carried back to the city of David was because David made sacrifices. The only way that you and I can get back in the presence of God is through a sacrifice. Now, here's the thing. Here's what you should be asking. Well, what is my response to this glorious gospel? How do I, how do I respond back to that? I'll show you how. Verse 14. And David danced before the Lord, all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord, shouting with shouting and the sound of a horn. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window. She saw the king. King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. Verse 22. Here's what David says. And I will make myself more contemptible than that. In other words, this, the Hebrew word for contemptible is undignified. In the presence of God, I will be more indignant than I just was. Now, here's what what I want all of us to ponder in this room. And those of you who are online, here's what I want us to ponder. When you consider your praise and adoration to the Lord, is it undignified? Or are you just chilling when you come into the presence of God? Do you have that bored look on your face like, I'm just here? Do do, do you have that I'm carrying my coffee and I'm I'm chilling before the Lord? I want to know who wants to get undignified for the Lord. And so he says, 
The Bible says that he dances so much that he dances out of his clothes. Now, I want us to be careful. He wasn't walking around butt naked. I I don't want you to grab from the sermon, Pastor B said, take off all my clothes. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. What, What I am saying, even it talks about how he took off his clothes and danced out of his clothes. The Bible says that he has a linen ephod. A linen ephod in Hebrew time would be equivalent to underwear. Whatever the undergarments that we all have on, I have a linen ephod on under, no, I don't, I don't. We, whatever your undergarments are, whatever you have on underneath, what David said is, I danced so much, I danced down to that. But watch what he says when the daughter comes to him. First of all, she popping off. Now understand this. Michael, the daughter, this is the daughter of Saul, so that means she was born into royalty. There's a, there's a certain way the, the, the royal family acted. And when she saw David outside, she said, what are, you, what are you doing? Your female servants see you. And he says, do you know that I will get even crazier than this for God? I, I'll, I'll, I'll get, I don't care what I look like. In fact, I don't want you to look at me at all in worship. I know, is there anybody like that? It's like, I don't want you to see me at all. See him. I was moved. I was overwhelmed when I saw uh, Andrea kneeling before the Lord. And I see people dancing. I see people shouting. And some of us are like Michael. We're sitting back going, it don't take all of that. But one of the things I want to help Epiphany Church with as we grow in our expressive worship, as long as we ain't crazy and out of order, keep your judgment to yourself. Because you don't know what God brought me out of. You don't know what he delivered me from. You don't know what I'm wrestling with right now. I serve a God that brought me out and ransomed me. He deserves my praise. Hallelujah. Deserves my praise. Now, wait, 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 Matthias. Wait, 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 wait. Now, now, let me tell you who's in the room. Maybe let me tell you who's in the room. But the first person that's in the room, you, you kind of like, you don't know, you know, how to get in. Maybe you just gave your life to the Lord and it's like, it's like double dutch. You're trying to figure out how to get into worship. And I get that. That's fine. That's the first person. The second person that's in the room, you've actually grown in your worship since you've been here, right? You, you went from standing to kind of like, you know, we only do the half, carry the baby with the dirty diaper, like praise, right? But then there's another group in here that if we think on the goodness of Jesus, and, and Matthias hit the right chord. We'll go up in a praise. I need somebody hit that chord, Matthias. Hallelujah. I need somebody to give God a good praise in this room. Come on, God is worthy. Come on. Hallelujah. Quiet. You're quiet. You're quiet. Get undignified. Get undignified. You're still quiet. Hallelujah. 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 I will get even more indignified than this. And I refuse. Hang on, Matthias. I refuse to let people's judgment of me stop my praise. We serve a God that's worthy. We serve a God that's good. God has been kind. And if you need a reason to praise him, the fact that you're still here is room enough that God is worthy. Come on, somebody lift up a praise in this room. Hallelujah. He's a worthy God. Y'all want three seconds? I 
I'll give y'all three seconds to go ahead and get a praise. Go ahead, Matthias. Hit a praise. I dance. There we go. I'll give y'all three seconds. Hit it, hit it. Hit it, hit it. Hit it. Come on now. Don't look around like Michael. I need somebody worshiping. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Come on now, don't be like, there we go. I need y'all worshiping. Woo! Hallelujah. I see you, I see you, I see you. I need somebody to get undignified. You're still quiet and cute. I need somebody to get undignified. My thighs, you gotta watch me, brother. What a good God we serve. Worship team, y'all come on up here. Hallelujah. Worship team, y'all, come on up. We, we normally take communion. Hold on. We normally take communion very solemn. But I'd love to stay right there as we take communion. Worship team, come up. Y'all start handing out that communion. Communion is a time that we get to celebrate the cushion between the wrath of God and sinful man. And so as communion comes around, move it quick, move quick, move quick, y'all move quick. As communion comes around, hold up. As communion comes around, I, I need everybody to just grab communion really quickly. Todd's gonna come up here, we're gonna take communion together, and we're gonna walk out on this celebration. I know y'all like, well, what are we doing up here? Y'all up here because I need somebody to praise with me. So y'all hurry up and hand that out. Ty, you come on up here. Let's move quick, let's move quick. 